Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode two of Real Talk with me, Anna Pajajski. In this episode, I speak to my great friend, Dr. Lucy Clements, a practicing dentist and all-round wonderful person. When this was recorded, I didn't have any fillings. Since then, I've actually got two. So if you take anything away from this episode, it's that karma is a cruel, cruel mistress. I met Lucy at her house in rural Oxfordshire to record this episode whilst her boyfriend, Akshay, cooked us dinner. We later went on to play Articulate and drink wine until late into the night. Thanks for dinner, Akshay, you legend. Also, apologies for the suboptimal recording quality on this episode. That's what you get for recording on location. Now, on with the show. I am Lucy Clements, a long-term friend of Anna's. Um, we've known each other since, I think we were two or three. We met at Montessori Nursery. Yeah. And have been causing chaos ever since. <laughs> so, um... I'm from Bedfordshire originally, uh, currently living in North Oxfordshire. Um, I'm a local dentist, work for um, predominantly NHS practice. We're talking about mercury today. I do have a lot of first-hand experience on mercury since it is involved in amalgam, which I use all day, every day in practice, and what most of you would have on the NHS for any backfillings that you need. So mercury really came into scientific interest probably with the alchemists. Yes. And they actually thought that mercury was sort of the base metal from which all other metals could be made if you mixed mercury with sufficient amounts of sulphur in varying mm-hmm. concentrations. Mm-hmm. Lots of ancient civilizations actually used mercury, ironically, as a medical cure. Mm-hmm. However, we now know that that probably killed their rulers rather than actually healing them. Gave so them any health benefits. Yeah. Um, so they weren't quite on the money with that one. But they were more so with the amalgams, because it has started use in 1826 and is still used in 2016. Yeah, so dental amalgams were first used in 1826. Mm-hmm. And that was in Europe, um, initially in England and France. It wasn't until the 1830s, I think, that it went over the pond to America. And so the main purpose of a, of a mercury filling is to fill in a cavity in the tooth? Absolutely. Traditionally, um, dentists were using gold. It's an inert metal, can easily be cast, can be easily cemented into teeth. The problem with gold is 
with time it's got more and more expensive. It's also not easy to place within a tooth. Um, a casting process needs to occur. And so the patient cannot have their restoration on the day that they attend with their hole or cavity due to decay or fracture or whatever the cause of the hole. So scientists, I think, were really looking for something that could be placed on the day when the patient presented um, to eat pain immediately rather than with weight. And it's been used ever since, as it's been so successful. There have been chemical changes to the makeup of the amalgam, but predominantly it's made of very similar things to this day that it initially was 200 years ago. So first things first, let's define amalgam. Right, well, amalgam is an alloy. Component parts initially in the early days were silver, tin and mercury. Um, that did form a workable filling material um, which made two compounds, one which is the silver mercury compound and the other which is the tin mercury compound. But quickly it became apparent that that tin mercury phase actually wasn't very strong. And over time, people's fillings were actually corroding. Um, so I don't know who the scientist was, but copper was put in. Um, and that reduced that weaker component of the filling um, to what we use today, which is inert, virtually corrosion-free. Um, and we see them last, well, I've seen them last up to 70, 80 years. Wow, that's very impressive. It's amazing. You see, I've seen... 97-year-old, I think, is the old, eldest patient I've seen with intact amalgam fillings, which I think she probably had placed sort of 16 to 20 when wow. she was that age. So it is a, it's an amazing material, and it's certainly stood the test of time. So as someone that works with mercury amalgams every day, hmm. what are your main thoughts on them? They are the easiest material to handle that we use day to day. It's an absolute dream for a dentist to put an amalgam in a tooth. It's so easy to manipulate. Uh, it's mixed for about 10 seconds in a capsule, which is made up of, of a powder plus the mercury in a liquid. Um, it comes out in a, in a sort of paste form, which can easily be loaded into a dispenser, which the nurse hands to you um, and can be put directly into the cavity. Usually we put a sort of ring around the tooth where the hole is just so the filling has something to pack up against as you place it in, in the cavity. Um, we use a plugger which literally just puts force onto the new amalgam filling and to make sure it's fully condensed into all the corners of your cavity and it has a good working time. You can, you can manipulate the material for a good five to ten minutes which is plenty of time to get a really nicely formed filling um, and then the set is quite quick after that so you can get something that you can bite on probably within 10 minutes the full set takes a good 24 to 48 hours but it is usable so long as the patient has soft food and so it's so much better than a lot of the newer materials to use from my point of view and easier for the patient because the time of the placement time is quick a lot of the newer materials you have to put in layers, you have to cure with a light, it takes a lot longer. So actually chair time for the patients reduced as well. So it sounds really like the sort the ideal material for this sort of thing. It is for many reasons. It lasts a long time, it's easy to place. The negatives of course are the aesthetics, um, the colour. Um, so the aesthetics are poor and also the environmental 
impact is a problem. It's a challenge to prevent the mercury getting into the water supply. And that's after it's come out of the tooth? Absolutely. So there's multiple times we have to be careful. You need to be careful when you're placing the filling because you have excess material, which you shave down to create a good form of the tooth. You have to suction those pieces away because you don't want the patient to ingest too much of the filling material. Um, and that then has to be separated from the water supply. Any excess material after that we haven't used, that needs careful disposal. And by that I mean it actually gets separated into a special amalgam pot, um, which gets taken away by the authorities to incinerate or whatever they do to it. The other time you have to be careful with it is actually when you have a tooth extracted. And a lot of teeth that are taken out have got some kind of amalgam filling in it. And you cannot just dispose of that tooth in the waste as you would other other dental materials and that again has to be incinerated and taken away so the real concern here is that it gets into the water supply and fish pond life ingest the mercury and fish take it up don't they particularly yeah i think it tends to concentrate especially in shellfish any sort of filter feeder will sort of concentrate the mercury in their bodies and then obviously when other fish higher up the food chain or humans then go on to eat those fish the fish that are you know full of mercury we then ingest that and take it into ourselves mm-hmm. so nowadays there are a lot of regulations um in particularly dentistry and anybody else that uses mercury in industry um on the safe disposal of amalgam the problem lies is that these regulations haven't always been here so in previous decades there may well have been a reasonable amount of mercury escape into the water supply and the food chain. So as someone I actually don't have any fillings I'm extremely proud to say. Hello Anna from the future here that's what you think you sucker but just you wait. (laughs) As a patient who might be having a mercury filling one might be quite alarmed to hear that the materials going in my mouth are treated so carefully once they come out. What are the safety concerns surrounding the use of mercury in humans? So there's a lot of discussion about this at dental school. In fact, it's a very popular question when you go for your dental interview. And actually, as somebody who deals with material every day, I can reassure every patient that walks in the door there are no proven health risks. There may be a small, small, small release of mercury vapour on placing the filling because, of course, there was a mercury liquid component to the mix. But once the filling has set, all of the mercury is bound so that there's no release of mercury once that filling is placed and fully set. There are people that will tell you they are dangerous. There are people that will tell you that your mental illness is due to your fillings. But I have seen no credible evidence to give me concerns that I should not be placing them in my patients. Sure. So, yeah, this really harks back to the mad hatter. Yeah. Because hatters or hat makers used to use mercury in order to remove the hair from the animal skin which they're making their hats from. And that mercury did cause madness in these people that were working with it. Um, But you're saying that that's not the case at all? No, not at all. There was some research to show that there may be a very small release of mercury vapour on drilling out 
your filling, your restoration for replacement. So actually, when people come with those concerns to me, they often request replacement of their traditional silver amalgam fillings in the new white materials. But my advice to them is, if anything, they're safer where they are. They are bound, they are inert, they are biocompatible, leave them be. Actually, if I drill out your amalgam filling and place a white one, I am not only risking the tooth, the, the nerve health potentially could be damaged, I will likely need to remove a small amount more of tooth tissue as we drill out that existing filling. But there may also be a small amount of mercury vapour released, which is what that presenting patient's major concern is. So I say to people, replace your filling with a white one when it needs replacing. Mm. So you just yeah. mentioned the white filling materials are now available. What's the difference between a mercury filling and a white filling? So the composite filling materials that a lot of people are placing now in simple terms are a resin which is then coupled with a filler and the resin is coated in something called a silane coupling agent so the two combine together and these filling materials are actually able to bond to your tooth structure the traditional amalgam ones sit in your tooth and are locked in by mechanical drilling whereas the white ones now actually have bonding agents that allow the composite filling material to stick to your tooth structure. And the advantage of that is actually that the dentist can remove very slightly less tooth structure when doing your filling because they don't need to consider the mechanical interlocking. And it also presumably has a more aesthetic appeal. Absolutely. The composite filling materials are fantastic. We have a whole range of shades. Um, you can pretty much now guarantee a perfect blend to the tooth. A lot of teeth with composite fillings you cannot see have fillings in to the layperson's eye. Whereas of course the traditional amalgam ones are grey and can be spotted at a distance. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, by anybody. <laughs> Not that you were judgmental at all. No. <laughs> Not that I see singers on the TV and think, why have you got an amalgam filling on your upper back teeth, which are clearly going to be visible on opening your mouth, <laughs> when you could have a nice composite one so nobody would know that you ate too many sweet teeth. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I actually had an early run-in with Mercury at, I don't know, age 12 in the physics labs of Dame Alice Harper School, where I quickly learned that mercury is a liquid at room temperature when I smashed a thermometer on the side of the desk and it went all over the floor, Amazing. which then uh, prompted a, what do they call them? Um, evacuation? Not an evacuation, <laughs> one, a health, what are they called? Like, um, a, it was basically a health and safety scare. Right. And they had to report it to the... I presume the health and safety executive, whoever that is in the school, who then turned up with a mercury cleaning kit. Oh gosh. And we had to evacuate the lab. Amazing. Were you not in my you can't have been in my I don't recall this. this. No. And I remember Mrs. Keeler having to clear <laughs> the science lab. So in twenty thirteen there was a international convention. Um, called the Minamata Convention on Mercury 
and it was an international treaty, effectively, um, which was designed to protect human health and the environment. So trying to stop really mercury getting into that food chain that we've talked about um, and being ingested and causing health problems in the future. And this has been signed by 140 countries, huge, huge proportion of the globe. Um, and it's been named after the Japanese city Minamata. And there is talk about it coming into force in 2020. I think that's what the signatories um, agreed to. And what does the convention mean? It means that a lot of products containing mercury are basically going to be banned. Um, their production and their trade and their disposal will be banned entirely. And does that include And that does settings? include amalgam. Wow. Um, so that's going to give potentially the NHS a huge headache because budgets are being cut, we don't have enough money, and their main filling material for back teeth is potentially going to be completely banned. What are our, our alternatives? Well, the composite material that I've talked about before However, there are some situations where composite is not appropriate. Mm. Composite is very moisture sensitive. So in holes, cavities that are very large, which extend underneath the gum, for example, it can be almost impossible to keep that tooth completely dry and isolate it from the saliva in the mouth. So therefore, your composite bond to the tooth would very likely fail with time. And you could get a secondary decay at that margin between the composite and the filling, mm. which could mean that that tooth has to be extracted. Whereas if that filling had been done in amalgam, which is not as moisture sensitive, that tooth could possibly have had a better longevity, could have lasted a lot, lot longer. The only other filling material we really have for such situations is something called a glass ionomous cement. Mm. They don't have the wear properties that either the amalgam or the composite do, so they don't last as long. Um, they also don't have anywhere near as good aesthetics as the mm. composites. They do respond better to moisture than the composites, though, so they can be used in those big holes. But usually those big holes are on back teeth that need to have strong wear properties. Mm. So we've got a lot of problems coming. Um, I have absolutely no idea what the NHS is going to do. The NHS is based on what is clinically necessary for the patient, what is cheapest for the NHS, what can be placed quickest. And every time that's amalgam. Mm. So I have huge concerns about what's going to happen in 2020. Throw into the mix that there is a new dental contract coming in. Mm. Now that was meant to be in this year or next year, um, but that has mysteriously been delayed and delayed and delayed. But I do wonder if they may be waiting so some clarity can be put on what material could be used in replacement of amalgam. Because it may be that techniques will change, a new material will emerge. Yeah. Um, but at the moment we heavily rely on amalgam for our day-to-day -day bread and butter dentistry. Yeah, to me, with my knowledge of metallurgy, it doesn't seem so ridiculous to think that a new alloy couldn't be discovered or developed. Yes, I mean, I, I'm no material scientist, but I am surprised that the makeup of amalgam has changed so little. Mm. The only thing I can think of is that mercury is the only metal that is 
liquid at room temperature so it could be that it is really irreplaceable it's unique in the periodic table mm. yeah may well be do you want a fun mercury fact yes please so the chemical symbol for mercury is funnily enough hg um which has got nothing to do with the word mercury it comes from the latin for mercury um which is i don't know how to say this i'm going to try and say it hydrogerum um, Carcinus in Horto S, um, which is Carcinus a form. Carcinus in Horto? No, the verb comes at the end. Are you sure? Yeah. Carcinus S in Horto? No. Papaya S in Wheeler? No, that's not it. <laughs> it's in Wheeler S. No, it's not! <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I would put a did lot of money on it. Did you do Latin longer than me? I did it in year nine. I probably gave it up as soon as possible. No, <laughs> I did give it up. Could you give it up at the end of year eight? Yeah. I give up at the end of year eight, so you yeah. probably know. I did do the, the second book. I only did the first one. Hello, Anna from the future here again. To say, oh my God, just stop talking, you're so wrong. Of course it's not Caecilius in Horto Est. Literally, what did you do for three years in Latin class? Lucy, I'm so sorry. You were completely wrong. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. I would have put money on <laughs> OST Mustis Oat. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> and Hycelius S in Horto. In Horto Est. Perhaps there was something else that went on in year eight, but in year nine that didn't go on in Perhaps year eight. Perhaps that's it, yeah. The subtleties of the Latin <laughs> grammar. Anyway, this Latin word, which I can't say, um, actually comes from the Greek, which is strange. Um, hydrargyros, which is a compound word meaning water silver. Which makes absolute sense, because in at room temperature, the mercury appears as... A silver water, Yeah, literally. it's a silvery liquid, exactly. That's so, exactly what it looks like. And you even get the ripples, it looks... Yes, yeah, yeah. totally fair enough. Um, what other fun facts have we got? Would you like another fun fact? I would love another fun fact, Anna. Joseph Priestley, who was the discoverer of, famously, oxygen, 
used mercury in the discovery of oxygen um, because he heated mercury oxide in order to create oxygen plus pure mercury. So there you go. Here's another fun fact. The Fresnel lenses, which go at the top of an old lighthouse, they actually used to float on a bath of mercury in, uh, as a sort of bearing so that they could rotate freely. So that would have been rele releasing mercury vapour, presumably. You would think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Poor lighthouse keepers. Do you ever watch Fort Bayard? Yeah, what's that? It's an amazing game show thingy that was set in this like crazy prison island in the middle of the sea. Just like this rock with a prison on it, which isn't a prison anymore. They just like set challenges, and so you're in teams, and then this lady called Melinda Messenger. Oh yeah. Um, would like run around with like not a sports bra on, um, and like they'd have to go through snake pits and spider cages and Sounds stuff. Lovely. And there were some tigers at the bottom by the money was, and they had a lighthouse keeper, a lighthouse near the prison where you had to abseil across the sea to. Um, and that lighthouse keeper was quite strange, so I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been sniffing the mercury Fresnel lens. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or maybe he was just strange for other reasons. I've got a fun history fact. Oh, yeah. Um, well, actually, no, okay. I've got a fun aviation fact. So you're not allowed to take mercury on an aeroplane today because... The large majority of aircraft are made of aluminium because it's a relatively light, strong metal. But actually, mercury seriously corrodes aluminium. Um, and so you're not allowed it on an aircraft in case you try and corrode the fuselage and then it all falls apart. This was actually allegedly used um, by the Allies in World War II in order to sabotage the Luftwaffe planes. These spies would create a mercury paste and apply it to the aluminium-exposed components of these aeroplanes um, in order to lead to very quick corrosion and structural failures of the aircraft. Speaking of that, it's just made me think, when you take somebody's tooth out, I told you earlier that you're not meant to give the patient the tooth if it's got amalgam in it because that then could reach the food supply one day if they threw it in the bin or flushed it down the toilet or whatever they were going to do with it. There's also a fun fact that you're not meant to take your tooth on public transport. <laughs> For the same reasons? No, I think it's something to do with the Human Tissue Act. Oh. Yeah. Prohibits, because it's part, it's, it's like part of your body, isn't it? It's like an organ. So, not really. But it's still a... It is human, human but tissue. Then, where's the difference between a fingernail mm. and a tooth? People that like to keep their fingernails in a pot and carry it on the bus... It used to be a problem at dental school because you had a pod of teeth, of course. as you do, because you had to practice drilling on them and mm -hmm. doing crowns and setting them in plaster into <laughs> smiles to practice on. And it was a it was a common problem that you weren't meant to take your pod of teeth on the tube because it's public transport. Right. And this Human Tissue Act prohibits it. That's jolly so interesting. Technically, if I give somebody their tooth, they have to walk home. Yeah. Or drive. Or drive. They couldn't go on a bus, could they? No, not really. Not without breaking the Human Tissue Act. Let's check I'm not talking rubbish. I really like this fact. <laughs> so 
So who, where did your teeth, whose teeth did you practice on? Oh, I managed to collect some from, um, I think it was my uncle's practice. Shout out to Odeon Healy. <laughs> <laughs> they collected teeth after extraction. So you're given as an 18 year old the task of attending dental school with some teeth. Well, in the interview, they're like, yeah, you can have a place where well, you once have to you bring... get Once you get the place, they yeah. say, please try and bring some extracted teeth. Here's the well, reading list, bring some teeth. That's easy if your parents are dentist or your mm. uncle's a dentist. It's quite challenging. So people end up going to sort of their local dental practice and saying, can you collect the teeth? I'm Before imagining me. some like horrible horror movie oh, where you you've got like... The amalgam, the, the tooth pot, they're not... No, I'm thinking of like people going to the mortuary and pulling out teeth from the deceased. <laughs> digging graves. No, digging up graves. <laughs> There's definitely a Halloween film in there somewhere. Well, because I remember we had to put teeth on a poster as right. a presentation. So to be allowed to um, treat patients in the clinic, you have to pass your licence to cut. Okay. which is effectively a practical exam mm. where you cut teeth um, in front of an examiner to check that you're safe. But in addition to that, we had to do a poster and present it um, with some work that we'd done on extracted teeth. So yet again, you've got a poster with a load of real teeth stuck on it. Yeah. So again, could, should that not have gone on the tube? No, I don't think or so. The no, or the plane. Luckily, I was on bike, so I was fine. Well, that's good then, isn't it? You can take any sort of limbs on bikes. There's no rules about that at all. Um, I could ask you some things about yourself, like Ooh, what yeah. drew you to the field of dentistry? Good question. Well, in year... Oh, I can't remember which year at school. We had to do a week of work experience. Yeah. year nine or I year think ten? One of those, yeah. And I went to work with my aunt. And my mum's sister, who is a practice manager, originally a dental nurse at a practice. And her partner is a dentist and he actually does a lot of implants, which are the whole replacement teeth. And that week that I went, he did a case where he replaced somebody's whole, I think it was lower teeth, with an implant supported bridge. And I saw him doing this and thought, wow, that has changed this person's life. Mm. It looks incredible, it's aesthetic, it's functional, and he has literally transformed this person's life. And I think dentistry is a really good mix of technical hand skills, you need to have good manual dexterity, you need a lot of science-based knowledge, you need to understand the materials you're working with um, and manipulating every day. And also there's a huge amount of interpersonal skills needed. Your communication is key. It's almost more important than your technical skills. Whether the patient understands the disease process, why they're experiencing the problem, and what they can do to make themselves better and stop a recurrence of decay or gum disease. And I just think it's a brilliant fusion of manual dexterity, science, communication, everything. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's a challenge as well. Actually, the fun in my day-to-day -day job is getting that patient who thought they could never do it out the door smiling with their new filling or their new denture or having had the tooth taken out. It's just absolutely brilliant. I couldn't, I couldn't wish for a better job and a, a better fusion of 
of all the things I really enjoy. And now, actually, once you've got all of those basic components, actually thinking about the art of dentistry as well, thinking about aesthetics, thinking about how to make somebody somebody's smile look as good as it can do, giving that person the confidence, giving them their smile back, that's another layer on top. So you can start thinking about proportions and shades and all of these kind of things. I mean, it's just such a huge field. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. All day, every day. It's so good. I get so excited. I'm such a dental geek. (laughs) So that was my chat with the wonderful Dr. Lucy Clements. Now, I've had a question sent in about mercury from Amy Eckert, who asks, why is mercury a liquid at room temperature? Well, Amy, this is a great question. So first things first, mercury is a metal. And in most metals, the atoms share their electrons around just willy-nilly. You might remember hearing about a delocalised electron C in GCSE chemistry. It's these electrons slopping around in the C that makes metals electrically conducting. Now, the nucleus of a mercury atom is very heavy. It's got lots of protons and neutrons in it, and in fact, the fact that it's got lots of protons in it means that it's extremely positively charged. Now, this high positive charge makes the attractive force between the positive nucleus and the negative electron much stronger than in atoms with smaller nuclei. Therefore, the electrons in a mercury atom have to orbit around the nucleus much faster to avoid being pulled in and crashing into the nucleus. Actually, they have to travel at speeds approaching the speed of light. And according to Einstein's theory of relativity, anything travelling at speeds like this has to get heavier. The result of this is that these heavy electrons end up orbiting closer to the nucleus in mercury atoms than in other metals. This makes mercury atoms much less inclined to share these closely held heavy electrons with their neighbours. So you don't get the delocalised electron C. The only forces then between mercury atoms to hold them together are weak forces like van der Waals forces, so it doesn't take much energy to break these interatomic forces apart and make mercury a liquid. Even the heat of room temperature will do it. Phew, I think I might need to go and lie down after that. But first let's just have one more question before we wrap up. This comes from Talia Cohen who says, I shrunk a woolen jumper in the dryer. Is there any way to grow it back to its original size? And if not, then why not? This is a great question, Talia, and something I'm sure many of us will want to hear the answer to. So woolen fibres in jumpers, strangely enough, have tiny scales on them. And usually these scales all lie in the same direction. When you agitate the wool using an aggressive wash cycle or heat in a tumble dryer, these scales get moved to point in all different directions and they start to snag on each other. This is a process called felting, and anyone who's ever experimented with backcombing their hair will be very familiar with it. So what would you do with matted hair after a wild night out? Well, you'd put a load of conditioner on it. And actually, this appears to be the advice for shrunken jumpers online too. So Talia, try washing your jumper with conditioner and let us know if it works. that's all we've got time for today don't forget you can get in touch with your questions or comments on twitter at real talk that's r-i-a-l talk on facebook at real talk or you can send me an email at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com thanks for listening and i look forward to seeing you next time on real talk
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.